Today's uh, call to worship, uh, as Pastor said, is Psalm 71, 1 through 15, uh, Pew Bible, pages 537. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. They wait to kill me, conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I, not, though I know not how to relate them all. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading Today's first Old Testament reading will be located in Isaiah 35, 3-4, page 662. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give away. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Today's second Old Testament reading will be located um, in Isaiah 41, 10 through 13, page 668 in your pew Bible. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All those who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be nothing as and perish. Though you search for your enemies, I will not find them. You will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be nothing as all, as at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. I'm reading from the Gospel of John 14, 1 through 3, and it's page 994 in your Pew Bible. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going, to there, going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He is he is strong. Let's try that again, though I am weak. He is strong. Right. I think that's the point. 
When we think about God's promises and what he wants to do for us, what he wants to do in us, what he wants to do with us, when we think about the conditions that accompany these promises, it strikes me that one of the most basic things we can recognize is our place. If I am lucky, the scripture says, I will celebrate three score and ten. Thanks to the good old-fashioned Adventist health message, many of you are going to score much more than that. You're going to be four score or maybe four score and ten. Blessed are we indeed. There are even those very rare individuals who find themselves at five score. But in the scope of history, what is that? Not much. From dust I was created, and unto dust will I return. Who is man, the Bible says, that thou art mindful of him? Right. It isn't that I count for nothing, for God himself departed heaven and laid down his life and gave himself that I might be in eternal relationship with him and that you might be in eternal relationship with him. So I'm not starting this sermon with the, oh, what a worm am I theology. That is just simply not the case. I and you alike are valued children of our Heavenly Father. But we must acknowledge our weaknesses. And it's not just physical. It's not just time. It's not just the limitations of our bodies and matter. It is the limitations of our wills and minds. It is our fears. So the promises of God can hold incredible power for us because where I am weak, he is strong. When I feel an orphan in the world, he is truly my maker and my father. The last text, the John 14 text, even tells me something about what I have to look forward to. Jesus said it in the presence of his disciples and others. In my father's house, there's a lot of room. You realize the palace of Versailles could accommodate some 10,000 guests? That's nothing. When God says he has a lot of room, I have a feeling he knows what he's talking about. And a universe that keeps expanding which we can't find the edges of, when he says he's got a lot of room, I think he knows what he's saying. In my father's house, there's a lot of room. And I'm preparing a place for you. Because I want you to be with me where I am. That's a great promise. And it's not great because it's pie in the sky or kind of, you know, riding the giraffe in heaven type of kitty stuff either. It's great because the Lord of the universe, the maker of us all, values us enough 
to not only prepare and provide for us, but he wants to be with us. Not just in incarnation in Christ, but in eternity through the salvation that Christ has brought. I think that's significant. I think that's huge. So God does promise something beyond our imagination, something beyond our conception, something beyond our ability to grasp, something that challenges our faith, at least some of our faith. As I come to kind of a conclusion on this series I've been doing with with the idea of God's promises, I want to I pull a couple of things together this morning. Next week, we're going to uh, have communion, and we'll look at one last of God's promises. The week after that, Pastor Jeff Park will be with you, and I think he's going to look at God's promises in relationship to our life stewardship. And then we'll be on to a new season. But before we depart, let's relish in a few of the texts that we've shared this morning. Let's go to that passage in Psalm, Psalm 71. In the poetic form that the psalmist has chosen, and make no mistake, this is poetry, especially in the original Hebrew. So when we put it in the poetic form and think about the way in which that has to be translated, let's think about the meter of what goes back and forth. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. What is refuge? I've secured myself. I've taken shelter in you. I've hidden myself in you so that I'm not hurt or found or destroyed. It implies that I'm a refugee, doesn't it? It implies that I have something that's menacing that I might be taking refuge from. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Here's the request, the plea. Let me never be put to shame. There are lots of forms of shame. Scripturally speaking, we find Adam and Eve ashamed in their nakedness. We understand that psychologically, but what that really is about is a kind of self-awareness of the worst kind. Not only an open vulnerability, but a kind of clarity through which people can see all of the hidden things. And Adam and Eve are hiding from God not because of nakedness. They're hiding from God because... They've exposed themselves to something different, something dark and evil. They've exposed themselves to doubt. In your righteousness, in your right doing, in your perfection, rescue me, deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge. There's that word again. To which I can always go. Give the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Now I like that. Give the command. Jesus used this idea, didn't he? In his ministry. Do you remember when the centurion came to him seeking a favor for his servant? And he said, you know, I'm not going to trouble you. I know how this works. 
I tell a man, go do this, and he goes and does that. I tell him, go do that, and he goes and does that. All you have to do, Master, is speak. Speak. Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this in Israel. Because out of the word comes what? Tell me. Flesh. Yes. That's John. But even prior to that, out of the word comes what? Everything. Everything. Did not, G- did not God and creation say, let there be? And there was? Did he not speak? And it was so? And it was good? Out of the word of God came everything. And out of the word came flesh. God himself dwelling among us. And out of the word comes the command to save. Do you think that command has power? It does if it proceeds from the mouth of God. And when David entreats the Lord to command that it be so, he knows what he is saying. For the word of God will make it so. Powerful. Deliver me from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. That is true for us today, isn't it? How many thousands of hours of movie and television are dedicated to the evil and cruel? And the fear that we have of them generated in our society. But he's talking about something deeper, too. He's talking about deliverance from a sense of evil. Verse 5, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. One in three pregnancies terminates naturally before it becomes a fully formed baby. Depending on the country and the sanitation and the available facilities, infant mortality rates are a sad statistic to read. David understands the truth. He says, from birth I've relied on you. You brought me forth into existence from my mother's womb, and I will praise you for the life that I have. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. This is what allows, in part, the promise to be fulfilled. Because if the word of God is generative, the word of humankind is also generative. For if God is the creator and we are the procreator, then when he speaks the word with the big W, it has an eternal power, but he gives us the word with a small W to speak that something might be. And when we speak to honor and we speak to praise and we speak to uplift, it fundamentally changes our reality. It fundamentally shifts our minds. 
It fundamentally moves us from one state of mental and emotional and spiritual being to another. It facilitates the promise that he will save. Do you believe that? I'm not just talking about the positive power of thinking or something. I'm talking about acknowledging even in times when it doesn't feel like something you want to do, the goodness and grace and power and strength and love of our God. Don't cast me away when I'm old or forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. For David, this was very real. For us, it's spiritually real. What do we read about darkness and evil? It seeks to devour us like a roaring lion wherever we go. They uh, do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. That is an interesting thing that he asks to be delivered from. The shame of judgment, the, same, the shame of having made a choice for evil, the shame of doubt in God's goodness and grace, the shame of having chosen the wrong side. As for me, I will always have hope. I will always praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to relate them all. And that's what happens, isn't it? As we share these saving acts, as we remember God's goodness, His acts, His grace, the ways in which His promises have been fulfilled, we find more and more instances of the same. It's like a filter. If you created a filter that would let only blue particles go through, when you first put the filter in, you might see a few blue particles floating in whatever solution was on the other side. But as time went on, you would see more and more until eventually the whole thing was filled with blue particles and nothing else. When we filter our minds with the praise of God and the goodness of God and the deliverance of God, we begin to see more and more instances of this. Now, I know this is true psychologically because you could drive a 72 Ford Pinto and swear that you have not seen one on the road for 16 years, which is really a good thing. <laughs> but once you own that Ford Pinto, you will see every Ford Pinto on the road from here on out. How many of you bought uh, like a, an Accord for the first time and then realized, oh my goodness, I own the same car that everybody else owns? Is there anything but the Accord on the road? You know, you're driving along thinking, hey, you know, I got a new car. I'm pretty, you know, this is pretty neat. And then you realize everybody has the same car. Everybody. Well, almost everybody. 
there's always that guy who throws you into uh, all kinds of tailspins of, of doubt and envy in his red Ferrari. But uh, I digress. It is true that when we condition ourselves to see the goodness of God, when we put that filter on, we find, as the psalmist did, more and more instances. And we find that we have less and less ways of recounting his saving acts, the fulfillments of his promises, his goodness and grace to us. Well, I hope you're not thrown off by the sort of passionate fury that exists within the relationship of, of God and Israel in, in many of the kinds of texts that we read. You know, David doesn't just want his enemies to go away. He doesn't want them out of the way. He wants them stomped into the earth. He wants them covered in shame. He wants them utterly destroyed. <laughs> and really, if we're honest with our own emotions about our enemies, are we any different? Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, that's much better. So we're all in therapy then? All right. You know, maybe we just need to read a little more Old Testament because it seems pretty natural there. Even in this passage, Isaiah writes of the joy of the redeemed, we find this wonderful thing, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. There's that little, uh, little thing in there. He will come to save you. There's nothing more useless than telling somebody, be strong, do not fear. How many of you saw the original airplane movie? If you're ashamed, you don't have to raise your hand. If you thought it was hilarious, raise them high. In the original airplane movie, there's someone who's afraid and people line up and begin to slap and hit this person, right? Trying to help them to get a grip. It's hilarious. We all just, at least I, I fall down laughing when I see that old thing. People with hammers and, you know, it's unthinkable in the age of 9-11. But anyway, you've got this whole thing going, it's useless to tell people, don't be afraid, Right? I, at least my experience. You may have better success with that than I've had. When I tell people, be strong and do not fear, I think they look at me like they want to pop me in the jaw. But if I can say to somebody, your God will come, he'll take care of it. He'll save you. It has a different kind of sound, doesn't it? That's a different kind of sound. Isaiah 41. Who doesn't want to deliver? Who doesn't want one who has the power to command that we be saved? Who doesn't have one who can take care of our enemies? So here's what it says in 10. We've read this already. Do not fear, I am with you. That's a big deal. So let's comfort ourselves. I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. 
That's his name, I am, the ground of being. It's like a double relationship here in this poem. He's not only with us, he's the I am that is with us. He's the creator, the ground of being, the one who commands, the one whose word is generative, the one whose word becomes flesh and dwells among us, the one the word of God speaks about, the I am. When Moses is standing in the sacred place before the burning bush that doesn't burn up, it's just the presence of God, this normally consuming fire that's not consuming and he's told to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. And he dares to argue with God about going before Pharaoh. Who am I going to say is sending me, Moses says. That's a good question, isn't it? In what name shall I go? When I present myself to the king of the most powerful empire on earth, who do I represent? God doesn't help him out much. He doesn't say, well, well, it's John. John from the third heaven of the second universe. He doesn't do that. He says, you just tell him, I am sent you. That sums it up pretty good. Being itself versus non-being. Creativity itself versus chaos the orderer of the universe, the one whose word makes all the difference, whether it's a person of Jesus or a promise spoken. Do you get a sense of how rich this is? How powerful? So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That reference, of course, is to God's goodness and right doing, but mostly to his righteous judgment. His capacity to deliver as well as to deliver punishment, to vanquish the oppressor, the enemy. This is part of the thinking and the process of the text. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed. There's that word again, and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing, and they'll perish. Though you search for your enemies, you won't be able to find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes a hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm Jacob, you little Israel. Do not fear. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Oh, yes. He's with us. He won't forsake us. He's our Father. He wants us to be with Him. He's even prepared a place. He invites you to move from the house of fear to the house of praise. He invites you to 
seek refuge, to count on the Lord's deliverance from your enemies and not you to deliver yourself. He's offering his righteousness in both deed and judgment in a covering for our shame. And he promises that he'll take care of us. He'll look out for us. He'll deliver us. He'll defend us. He'll protect us. He'll be with us. I ask you again, as I did at the beginning of this series, does this mean bad things will not happen in your life? No. Does it mean that somehow we're exempt from the 70 years that we've been allotted plus? Not unless he should come before that. Does it mean that our lives will be without challenge? No. But his word is generative. You're here because of it. It's sure. Because he's demonstrated it again and again. And it's relational. Because it's presented itself in the mediator Christ. The one who comes to not only know us in a way that can't be known otherwise, but to reveal the Father to us that we might find him the friend he seeks to be. Though I am weak, Lord, you are strong. Though we are weak, you are strong. And we take our refuge in you. Amen.